Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back. Finally getting an episode out to y'all. This is episode number 43, The Nomadic Outdoorsman. You're listening to the Wilderness Tamer podcast, and thank you so very much for tuning in. Now, my guest this week is Dan Matthews. He is the host of the Nomadic Outdoorsman podcast, and as well as the Western Rookie podcast. If you have a TikTok, I am damn sure y'all have seen him come through y'all's thread. So go check him out on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I had a great time talking to him, and of course, tried to cram in what we could. Now, before I let y'all go to enjoy this episode, let me give a quick shout out to the show's sponsor. First off is Dry Pocket Apparel. They are the future of swimwear that come with an integrated dry bag as a pocket now with a self-sealing magnetic strip certified to go 100 feet down and it will keep your phone dry as a bone. So go check them out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and as well as drypocketapparel.com. Now they're also accepting pre-orders for the Dry Pocket Backpack. It will be available in June, I believe. Don't quote me on it, but it's on their page. Go check it out. If you're a hunter, fisherman, kayaker, duck hunting, whatever, you need this backpack. I'm getting mine for sure, and I will be doing a gear review on it. It is going to be an awesome piece of kit with self-sealing magnetic strips. Now, when you go on Dry Pocket Apparel and you see something you want, use promo code, all caps, WILDERNESS, to get you 25% off your order. So thanks again. Thank you all for sticking to it, keeping the numbers rolling, and then special thanks to Dan for taking the time. Y'all have a good start to y'all's week, and we will see y'all soon. Hey, everyone. This is episode number 43, The Nomadic Outdoorsman. Dan, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for taking the time to come on. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Anytime. So if you want to uh, introduce yourself real quick, because I'm pretty sure anyone who's been on TikTok has definitely seen you on there. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, I'll start by saying, well, again, thanks for having me on. Um, my name is Dan Matthews, like you said, and I've got a couple different podcasts now. One is called The Nomadic Outdoorsman. On that, I talk about different uh, adventures that I've been on. With, with friends, with family, and then I talk to everyday outdoorsmen. Um, and then the second podcast is called The Western Rookie, where my goal is to get people on who are experienced Western hunters or maybe are finishing up their first season or two out West so that they can share with others how accessible it is through tips, tricks, gear reviews, all of that. Oh, cool. And then, like you mentioned, I... Uh, I run a couple podcasts, or I mean, social media pages like TikTok, Instagram for both of those podcasts, and my wife and I, I don't know, we just love making goofy content that most hunters can relate to. So Yeah, that's, 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 that's pretty funny. People may have seen yeah, what's so crazy is my wife is the one that actually showed her, showed you to me. She was like, you need to have this guy, and I was like, yeah, and that's when I hit you up. Yeah. So kudos to my wife for yeah. pointing you out to me. That's so funny. I feel like uh, I've I've had a lot of other guys' wives as wingmen as far as, like, connecting me to new hunting buddies and new podcast friends. So that's <laughs> awesome that she did the same. Heck yeah, man. So uh, how did you get into hunting? What was your first experience? What were y'all after? Man, I started hunting. I, I started hunting before I could legally hunt, I guess. I would go and sit with my with my uncle in the woods in Wisconsin uh, every rifle season, which is the week of Thanksgiving up in Wisconsin, we would throw on blaze orange head to toe. I mean, we did it all. I, I've noticed down south, there's a lot of orange vests and hats, but growing up, we would we would be dressed orange head to toe. Yeah. The bibs, the gloves, <laughs> the face mask, the hats, you name it, it was blaze orange. And so that's kind of how I started. I got a BB gun when I was really young. I think I was in elementary school. My parents gave me a BB gun and mm. I shot anything that moved. Uh, including my brother sometimes. I, I know <laughs> yeah. he probably wouldn't be happy with me sharing anything and everything. And just like any time I got introduced to something in the outdoors, I fell in love with Oh, that's about how I am. I'm a seasonal outdoorsman. I'm, I'm out in the woods year-round. Yeah. But so were y'all chasing whitetail or kind of how when did y'all get into that? Yeah, whitetail 
whitetail deer was basically what I started with and the only thing I really chased after for quite a while. It wasn't until my teens when when my uncle started introducing me to other things like uh, small game, waterfowl, but mm. whitetail was my passion for a long time. Growing up and watching my family leave, uh, my both my parents hunted, my aunt and uncle hunted, all three of my older sisters did, my cousins did, and so Heck yeah. <laughs> it, it was kind of a bummer when I was like eight, nine, ten years old and I actually couldn't hunt myself because uh-huh. everybody would be gearing up. I'd be waking up at 3 a.m. alongside them, helping them. You know, they'd tell me, hey, go grab my ammo, bring it here, put it in my backpack or my fanny pack. And and I was kind of the kid that wishes he could go out. And it was like, it just seemed like too much of a hassle for them. So for a long time, they didn't mm-hmm. until, you know, I got closer to the age where I could actually hunt. They kind of prepped me leading up to my first hunting season for a few years that what to expect the fact that i had to sit out in the woods all day long no matter what the temperature was so, yep that sounds uh, yeah, like me and my dad hunting. yeah it i mean it was it's it's a religion in wisconsin mm. the orange army is a real thing i mean i think typically years we're sitting around the six thousand mark for hunters on opening weekend um and so learning how to do that didn't necessarily equip me for other types of hunting because it was such a specific type. I mean, I would go sit in the woods on a dead, on a dead tree, on a stump, on a bucket, or, you know, I started making my own homemade tree stands out of two by fours and plywood. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I would just sit in one spot. There was no prep that went into it. No scouting, uh, baiting was hit and miss each year. Some years you could, some years you couldn't. Mm-hmm. And so it was basically just sitting and waiting and hoping something came through. And the deer numbers where we were at, it was almost every day. I mean, I remember sitting, seeing 40, 50 deer, and that's not having bait out. That's not having scouted. That's just sitting in the woods on a hillside, and I would have that many deer come through uh, over the course of a day. My mercy. Now, are y'all doing, like, deer drives up there around Wisconsin and that that type of hunting? You know, for the most part, we wouldn't. Maybe in the middle of the week we would. Uh-huh. Uh, it's only a nine-day season for firearms, and so typically opening weekend is pretty hot. It's the Saturday before Thanksgiving, and uh, so we'd, we'd get out and we'd sit all day. I mean, dawn till dusk in the woods, in the cold, mm-hmm. and then, you know, I'd get bored. I'd get restless, or my feet would get cold, and so I'd walk over to my dad or my uncle or another family member just out of boredom, not necessarily to try to push deer their way. And that's probably what ended up happening, I'd, though, half the time. Oh, yeah. I'd see, I'd see deer heading their way. I'd hear gunshots, and I'd get super excited. Uh, um, but as far as actually organizing a deer drive, it typically didn't happen unless it was really dead in the middle of the week. It was a wet year, and they couldn't take the corn down. Sometimes we'd do it. Mm. The deer would get hung up in the corn. They wouldn't they wouldn't necessarily leave until that was all cut. So okay. well, I was just we would ki- do it on occasion, but yeah. not as a main tactic. I was just curious. I mean, I've always been a still hunter myself. I've never dog hunted for deer either. Cause that's a big thing down here in South Georgia for some counties. Oh yeah. But other than that, I like still hunting. Now talk kind of fast forwarding to today. Do you, uh, where all of you hunted for whitetail? Then we'll get into a little bit of Western. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, for whitetail deer, I mean, my main states every year are Wisconsin and Missouri. That's, that's kind of where mm-hmm. I really focus. For chasing after whitetails now i mean i've deer hunted kind of all over the place um i've deer hunted down in arkansas for whitetail mm, i've done state. mule deer hunting out in colorado blacktail deer hunting in alaska um, i'm hoping this year to add a bunch of states to my whitetail resume mm-hmm. uh, i've got friends and and just connections that i've made through the podcast and social media in multiple states and so i'd love to go check out Definitely some western states. I feel like hunting white hills where you can see the mountain would be, or the Rocky Mountains would be a pretty cool thing. Oh yeah, for sure. That's why I want to check that box bad. I want to at least because I hunt I hunt the traditional bow now, and I would love to check that box to kill just about every big game animal I can with it. I know that's a big feat, oh, yeah. but people have done it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. No, oh, so what's are you said mule deer hunting? What uh, how did that go? Did y'all do DIY or did you do a guided hunt? 
Nope, all DIY. I have, I'm trying to think, I don't think I've ever done anything guided except mm. I did a guided fishing trip and I did a, I wouldn't technically say it's guided, but it was a high fence hog hunt in Oklahoma. Mm. A bunch of guys from church invited me and they go in, they catch wild hog um, as as part of the program to reduce the population and then they oh, make yeah. money I understand that. by releasing it in the high fence and then you pay to go and shoot them. And, uh, you know, it was, it definitely wasn't my ideal type of hunting, but it was kind of cool. You know, it was a good bonding experience for me and a bunch of those guys. But other than that, yeah, it's all been DIY, uh, out West. It's public land. I got, I got a mule deer tag along with my elk tag. I, I just purchased it. I had a couple points. And so I said, you know, mm. nobody really mule deer hunts out here, and I always see them when I'm elk hunting. I'm going to get a buck tag and see what I can make happen. And sure enough, um, I shot my second ever bull elk, and on the drive back to camp, I had a bunch of people that came came out and helped me pack it out the mountain. Uh-huh. We got it back to the side-by-side, and we got probably a quarter mile, maybe a couple hundred yards away from camp, and um, everybody was stopped in front of me. And I get off the four-wheeler and walk up to them, and they're like, dude, a big muley buck just just pounded into the brush right here with those. And that was my number one goal that week was to get a buck. And it just happened to where I got a, a bull elk. But <laughs> okay. I ended up putting a stock on that thing um, for like the last hour and a half of daylight. And I followed these does that it ran into the brush with. I followed them for almost an hour and a half. And... It wasn't until three minutes before the end of legal light oh, yes. that I was watching yeah. them. They it's usually when it happens. The, yeah, it was crazy because, I mean, I they would let me get about 100 yards from them before they would bound off. And then they bound to like 300. I just kind of creeped them in over an hour and a half. And they kept looking back toward me, but not at me. They were kind of looking underneath me at this little shelf that I was on. And so... I was thinking, man, that buck might be bedded right below me. So I, I'm like creeping up to the edge, looking down, and I look back up, and this buck is standing right in the middle of all the does. Oh, crap. The does that I'd been following the whole time, never saw where he came from, and uh, I looked at my clock, and I had a couple minutes left, so I put my trigger sticked up, got my rifle set, pulled the trigger, went out and picked him up. So I got a buck and a bull in the same day, uh, my buddies at camp called me the two rack champ for a while after that <laughs> yeah. and uh, it was a title that i was very proud of oh for sure carry your head high on that one now was it over the counter tags you were drawn for or mule deer do you got to put in for them so the mule deer i burned two points on that uh typically you can pick that unit up with one point but i didn't have the time that year to get out and do two separate hunts one for one for elk and one for mule deer um that unit specifically is over the counter for elk and so even as a non-resident, I can, I can buy one on my way out to the, to the hunt every year. Um, typically, you can get a $100 bonus bear tag even as a non-resident. Oh, I'll yeah. pick one of those up. And then the buck tag every other year, I'll buy one of those also. So I'm not, you know, I'm putting in for a couple big tags. So like I'm building up my elk points and um, I'm building up points for moose, mountain goat, and bighorn. Yes. But other than that, I just want to hunt. I like hunting every year. I don't want to have to take a 10-year gap between hunts. So yeah, that's uh, system, <laughs> I, I don't care for. Now, when did you when did you start getting into Western hunting? Um, it would have been years ago now. My wife and I moved out to Colorado. Job out there with a guy that I knew from Missouri that had moved out there. So mm. I went out on vacation. He offered me a job. We moved in a month. Uh, I got set up out there on the front range of Colorado. And like I do everywhere, I quickly made hunting buddies. I was mm. like, I can't live anywhere unless I've got a good group of dudes that I can call up. Oh, for sure. <laughs> waterfowl or rabbits or anything with. So mm. I started I started um, goose hunting with them out of a pit blind. Never had that experience before, being completely underground. Yeah. Hop out of a lid and shoot geese. That was yeah. amazing. Vietnam style after, kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, this is this is really cool i mean we'd have geese land inches from our faces sometimes and we're just hiding underground <laughs> waiting for the whole flock to commit so 
Um, it was through that connection and hunting with those guys, they invited me out to their elk camp. And that is just like whitetail season in Wisconsin, elk camp for them is a religion, it's a tradition that they don't miss for anything. Yeah. And so I was honored to go out there and my buddy, Sean, one of the best hunters I've ever met, he got me on a bull elk two years in a row. Sweet. Sounds like I got some fertile land then, at least I already know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, we've hunted, I hunted this past year less than, or it was the unit next door to them because I brought new guys out of my own and didn't want to, didn't want to give away their honey hole. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the difference from the scouting, the research that they do every year and the information that they gather out on that hunt, uh, the difference in the amount of elk that we saw, even only being a couple miles away was unbelievable. We did, I didn't see an elk on the hoof during season for five days and they saw over 1500 throughout the week damn well chicken man it can yeah. be like just certain areas hold animals better for some reason don't know why Absolutely. but for some reason they tend to gravitate in them areas oh yeah it they they definitely have their spot and you know with the the more hunting pressure the over-the-counter tag like they're having mm-hmm. other people kind of creep in but even if you spend all day long driving roads on side by sides, unless you know where to get out in glass, you might not ever see them. Yeah, I understand that. Now, how is the hunting pressure out there? Because, I mean, I say just from a southern guy, just listening in, it sounds like it's starting to get a little bit more and more from what you hear and see on YouTube and stuff like that from people making videos. Yeah, it definitely is. I can't, I can't speak to most of the states out there, but I know in Colorado, Colorado is always one of the top places for people to go out on their first elk hunt mm-hmm. uh, for non-residents to come. They do have so many over-the-counter opportunities. I mean, you can get an over-the-counter tag in Colorado for about half the state um, for second rifle season. And so okay. I know first, third, and fourth rifle season, there's over-the-counter opportunities for them. It seems like second is probably the most crowded yeah. just because uh, it's the longest season. I think it's nine days. Some of the other ones are only four or six days. So if you're a non-resident, I mean, obviously going and getting those few extra days of hunting is going to be worth it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we see people from from California, Virginia, um, Nebraska, Wisconsin. This year, I, I would say 90% of the people that we ran into that were non-residents were from Wisconsin, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Um, so yeah. I got to connect with them on that level a little bit but yeah there's just a ton of non-resident hunting pressure out there now um and and that's okay like i'm glad people are getting into the sport i'm glad they're contributing to habitat studies and all that through the through the money they spend on tag yeah for sure i mean it ain't like it's gonna wipe it out i was just curious though if some areas were better than others oh yeah yeah there definitely are i mean i've i've heard of people seeing thousands and thousands of elk and they're getting in the action there's non-residents that have it figured out uh only in a few short years better than some people who've been hunting out there as a resident for 20 yeah and it's different hunting styles you know you've got to you've got to get used to moving around and you've mm-hmm. got to understand wind and thermals i was just about to ask like what's your process of how how y'all go about it just you know just you don't gotta give away all your secrets but <laughs> anything you want to throw a bone <laughs> No, uh, so the, a lot of people like to watch YouTube, right? Mm. And they see the people in the rut bugling for elk, uh, the elk show up, it's, it's hot and heavy action all day long. Um, well, in reality, if you're going out there on a rifle hunt, you're typically not going to see a lot of that. Uh, rifle season happens after the rut for the most part. You might hear a couple bugles here and there, Mm. but actually calling and having them come in looking for a cow that may have strayed or looking for a bull that's trying to contest um superiority out there it's just not going to happen and so a lot of people think man i'm going to get up close i'm going to have them coming through the brush bugling in my face and i'm going to shoot one at 10 yards well in reality we don't ever try that our yeah. goal is never to be on the same hillside as elk uh, because a lot of the places that we hunt it's scrub brush or scrub oak as a lot of people call it it's thick it's nasty you can't move in it without making a ton of noise yeah and so our goal is to get on an opposing ridge line and find the elk from there i got you you're gonna be able to yeah. see him you're farther away I'm a shot. my buddy this year he 
he, he tried to hunt them like he was hunting elk in the rut with a bow. I said, do not be on the same hillside. He crossed a valley from him. And okay. he did. He got 15 yards from a big bull. And he's like, I had my rifle, but I still didn't have a clear shot. I never even saw it until the wind shifted. And even when it ran away through the brush, the only thing I saw were his ears and antlers. Yeah, and I've been that way with white so tail with before. Rifle, oh, yeah. With a rifle, it just doesn't make sense to get five yards from it. No. <laughs> It'd be nice, but no. <laughs> yeah, it would be. I mean, we've been, we've been in them un, uh, unintentionally before. We've gone mm-hmm. in after one herd that we saw and didn't realize that there was a herd in between us and them. And we bumped it out of cedars, and that was an experience all on its own. Okay. But for the most part, what we do is we, we get to a good glassing point, and we'll sit and we'll pick an area apart for quite a while. And hopefully we catch something moving. Hopefully we see a lot of elk. Um, but if not, we just continue to work a ridge line or continue to work a two-track on the four-wheelers or in the mm-hmm. side-by-side, and we find high points to glass. We let our eyes do the walking until we know where the elk are. I heard that. Now, let me ask you this. Do y'all like just ride the side-by-side and then just go out and kind of make like a spike camp and hunt? Or y'all just kind of cover more ground the better? Um, so it, it kind of changes throughout the week. Mm-hmm. We've got a big hunting camp. I'm talking, you know, sometimes 20, 20 people out there. Damn. And yeah. we'll, all, we'll all hit the trails on side-by-sides to start the day. I mean, we have about a 45-minute drive every day nice. on side-by-side. Yeah, man, save those get... legs for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that comes with its own issues, you know, getting them stuck or break down in the backcountry. Mm-hmm. That happens plenty of times, but we'll we'll get back there, and from there, you know, we'll do short hikes throughout the day, try okay. to get to spots where we midweek the guys that i actually hunt with like every day spend my time hunting with them uh-huh. typically midweek we'll go set up spike camp okay we'll hike in a couple miles where we know there's always good elk activity and then from there we wake up in the mornings get high on a ridge try to find a spot to glass from and then find the elk and Sweet. so it's a little bit of both uh i'd say we spend two-thirds of the time at base camp and we do day hunts and then we spend a third of the time in the middle of the week doing spike camp. Okay, cool. Now, what kind of gear do you take? Like clothing, tent-wise, backpack, what do you have? So, I've got an Easton backpack. I absolutely love it. It doesn't have the meat shelf, but it's got a meat pouch. So, uh-huh. it's got a pull-out pouch on the back side of it. Typically, like how you would see a rainfly pull-out and cover a backpack. Yeah. Um, this one is just, it's got... The, the molly straps that can clip on to the sides of the packet so I can pack all my all my meat in that without having the actual external frame or the meat shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as clothes go, I've used, I think just about every year I've hunted for elk, I've had mixed match camo, stuff that I get on sale, stuff that I find for good deals or friends gave me because they don't need it anymore. Uh, just recently, I've purchased some first light stuff this past Christmas. Uh-huh. Um, it's something that I've been wanting to do for a while because, to be honest, 45 minutes on the side-by-side or on the four-wheeler, like, I would have to bundle up for that in the morning. Oh, I'm sure. In October, yeah. early November. And I had my giant Cabela's duck hunting jacket. I mean, this thing is huge. It probably weighs five pounds, and I'm not going to pack that back in. So I said, screw it. It's time to get lighter weight gear mm-hmm. that I can wear all day. So I've got the whole first light system from the Wick boxers and long johns, um, the puppy, the outer shell, and then it's all stuff that I can pack down pretty easily and put in my backpack if I get hot when I'm hiking out. Heck yeah. How are you liking it so far? Does it seem to be durable and holding up? Man, I love it. I will say I tore my pants day one of oh, a mountain goat hunt, or sorry, a mountain lion hunt this year. Oh, uh, I have to talk about that. Hope to hold <laughs> Man, I, I walked right into some scrub oak and poked a hole right through them. I will say that ripstop material that they're made of did its job. It stopped the tear immediately. It wasn't like uh, a five-inch gash in it. It yeah. basically just punctured through, um, but it was hard enough to where it was going to puncture through anything. Like, yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, Mother Nature's going to win. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't, you'll never make gear that can 100% hold up everything that mother nature is going to throw at you so uh, i felt like it's 
been doing a great job so far. I've worn it in super cold temperatures on waterfowl hunts. I wear it on hikes. Mm-hmm. I will say my favorite gear that I've got from them is the wool base layers. Like the wicking technology in them to get that moisture off of your body. Uh, it, it's been amazing. Oh, yeah. Keep staying dry like that is very, very important, especially in y'all's temperatures. We don't get them that much down here in South Georgia, but if y'all, it could be life or death sometimes. Oh, yeah. It gets nasty out there. And in Colorado, you know, you don't want to be taking all your clothes off, putting them back on throughout the day. Like, you might wake up and it's below zero, and by the afternoon it's 70 degrees out. And so to have to have comfortable clothing that you can wear in both temperatures and only have to take out your jacket or like the all of my pants that I own from them now they have the full length zipper and so I can take off my mid layer without taking off my outer layer and I I absolutely I absolutely love those features so that's that's what I've got as far as the clothing side of it goes I've got Danner boots absolutely Mm -hmm. love them I've had them for years. I think it's about time to get a new pair. And I've heard great things about Tenetrex. I don't know if I'm actually going to pull the trigger on those or not. But um, I may I may upgrade my boots. But at the end of the day, so far, I haven't needed to. Um, the tent that I have, it's a two-man healthy tent. Super lightweight. Uh, it gets me back there. I think this fall on one of my hunts, I, I think I'm going to do a, a mule deer hunt in New Mexico. Ooh, and I might be cool. just do a tarp. I don't know that I'm actually going to have a tent at all. I might just do the tarp. So yeah, I don't think you have to worry about happens. rain down there. You'd be fine. Main thing is just keep the dew off of you if there is any. Yeah, the dew. And the other thing is I'm like, man, I do like the idea of being off the ground and enclosed. Because that's like scorpion, snake, tarantula oh, country. Dude, all I do is hammock camp or here in South Georgia. Because <laughs> we'll load our kayaks up and go get on the river and we'll just strike out. You could not pay me to sleep on the ground in the swamp. <laughs> oh yeah, no thanks, man. I'm not good with crawly things. Me either. I, don't, I I'd, I'd rather be in grizzly country than in rattlesnake country. Yeah, uh, I don't know though. <laughs> uh, at least the snake like, won't chase I, you down. <laughs> it's true, but I'd rather know it's coming than be surprised and wake up and have it coiled up next to my face oh you know, if yeah. i'm gonna go i want to go quick i don't think i want to i don't think i want a snake bite to the neck and die slowly and painfully like, <laughs> yes that is true i mean we've had tear me open man yeah we've had some a lot of close calls down here hunting before but luckily we wear our snake boots because you can't be an effective hunter and not wear them down here because the whole time you're having to stare at your feet especially this turkey season man it is so hot down here already it's crazy oh geez yeah, I want to get down there. I've got a buddy that came, went down there last year, and I think he might be down there now or is going down there for turkey season this year. Oh, cool. Where at State is he hunting? He's in, he's in Georgia. He uh, I don't know what the county was or the city that he was near, but his dad lives down there, and he's like, dude, it was so fun chasing him around the mountain. I I was jealous. I is it Piedmont? Least, what's that? Does, it, is this, does Piedmont sound familiar? You know, it doesn't. I don't know that he's ever actually told me the area that he hunts. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That's probably good. I think yeah. he invited me last year. Uh, I yeah. think he invited me last year, and I just wasn't able to go. But I got to be in, in a bachelor party down there in the Dahlonega area. Oh, yeah. That's and a good area. Oh, man, that country is beautiful. It is, man. We go kayaking up there a lot. It is awesome. Yeah, I'm going to... I, I just like traveling. I like to I like to go check out new areas. I like to hunt new things. I like to learn new techniques or strategies for hunting. Oh like yeah. Even the the uh, deer hunting with dogs. I've never done it. You know, I've got my I've got my thoughts about it right now. But I don't. I try not to strong. Sorry, I try not to form too strong of opinions before I actually try something. So mm-hmm. I think that'd be interesting to watch the dogs work and it, see what it's all about yes watching the dog work is fun especially i like it for quail hunting reasons but for me i was on a hunting club about 1500 acres and it was surrounded by a dog hunting club on all four sides now sometimes that worked to my advantage when i hear those dogs running i'd go set up in a uh, a food plot on our property because all we did was steal hunt and there was only like five of us so there really wasn't a lot of pressure our hunting club was like an oasis for the animals 
But sometimes I'd set up in front of the dogs and they'd push deer to me. But then other times I'd be sitting there still hunting and I'll hear something like kind of hurrying up to me. I'd be getting ready and dogs pop out. So it's oh, a little man. heave and hoe with it. You know what I mean? But it, yeah, I mean, it just be, is what it is, and everybody's part. got their fix. And I don't want to knock hunting at, or any type of hunting at all, as long as it ain't poaching. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because we got enough going against us already. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I don't think the division needs to be, be there. I think people can have their own their own methods. They can use their own gear. I do like making some satire uh, uh, content on TikTok. You know, where you just comment on a Benelli or a Hoyt bow because you know people will get a little up in arms about it but it's all in good fun it is I, it just gets people need to take hunting a little less seriously uh, oh, for sure not, yeah we we need to be able to enjoy it and have fun with it without without being at each other's throats about gear mm. now talking about controversial hunts tell me about this mountain lion because most hipsters nowadays think that the predators don't need to be hunted but they need to be managed Oh yeah, they 100% do. I mean, you can you can hop online most days and see content where where there's a mountain lion on somebody's porch trying to get after their dog, or maybe it actually already yeah. got their dog. Did you ever um, see that definitely... TikTok where I don't mean to interrupt, but it was a guy he was really taping out his window on his phone, and an elk or a mountain lion took down a cow elk out like on his back porch. Oh yeah, yeah, that happens all the time, especially like areas like Colorado Springs. Um, California's got a lot of it. We we had a, a hiker when I lived in Fort Collins. He was hiking a mountain called Horsetooth Mountain. And it was a spot that we had hiked multiple times. It's a gorgeous trail up to the top of the mountain. You can see toward the city um, and towards the Rocky Range. And he was hiking up that, got attacked by a mountain lion. And so it's not that lion, and he ended up killing it. Um, he killed it by stepping on its neck, believe it or not. It was all over the news. You probably seen memes of him but it ended up being a small cat but yeah it attacked him and Shit. he had no choice but to take it out so that's um, like my it, ultimate fear i can handle an alligator or anything like that or even a bear i feel like they're a dog but man you like a feral cat you can't even keep your i mean you can't even keep control of that sucker let alone if he's 120 pounds you know what i mean yeah yeah i can't i can't imagine like actually being in an encounter with one from the sound of it, most of them don't, like, they're not interested in people. Uh, mm. It sounds like cats, they just have a natural tendency to chase things that are moving fast. Yes, so they you do. You hear a, a, lot of, a lot of joggers and a lot of mountain bikers getting I'll, attacked by mountain lions. Down here in the swamp, but, I've got a story. I was stalked while in the stand and while walking to my truck at night one evening. I was oh shaking, turned white as a ghost. And I was still, I was about 16 years old when it happened. But we got them down here too. They're probably not as big as y'all's, but like you say, I wouldn't want one to like get one a tussle with one. No, no, and I mean, I learned a lot about mountain lion hunting. I didn't, I didn't end up getting one. We didn't get any snow. I mean, basically, how it works is you drive the roads, you drive mountain roads, like I mean, off-road trails hmm. by uh, with the dogs in the box in the back, and yeah. you're just going slow, looking out the window, looking for fresh tracks. If you get a fresh snow, your odds of getting a mountain lion go through the roof. Okay. Whereas if you don't, and the and the ground's frozen, if the dirt's frozen where you can't actually see. Like sometimes we would get out thinking, oh, there might be a little pad print right there, and we'd get out, and you couldn't even see your own boot print in the dirt because of how frozen the ground was. Yeah, and I imagine Those the cats they got soft. Tough. Yeah, I imagine they got soft paws too, so it is pretty hard for them to leave a track. Oh yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And so we didn't get any fresh snow. Unfortunately, we didn't get on a cat. Um, watching the dogs work, though, they worked a couple old trails here and there. Mm. Uh, and hiking around the mountains. I mean, any time I can be in the mountains, walking around, it's uh, a good time. Amen so, to that, man. Sometimes it ain't even about fishing or the hunting. It's just about being out there in the woods. Just need a break. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'll go I'll go sit and just watch a field. I mean, mm -hmm. even if... Even if there's nothing in season, I'll, I'll go out with my binos, see what animals pop out. Um, I just actually got a new spotting scope in two days ago. Oh, cool. And I've what got kind? my whole phone scope set up. It's the Vortex, uh, it's the Vortex Razor HD. Nice. And I think it's the Gen 2. It's sweet, man. I was thoroughly impressed by it. So 
I'm pumped to use that this fall in scouting. I'm actually excited to use it here this spring. I'm going to go uh, set up at my hunting ground at my buddy's house and just watch the field in the morning to figure out where the turkeys are coming out before season opens. So, Sweet. Or has uh, turkey season opened up for y'all yet? It's not. On the 18th of April, it does. Okay. So y'all's a little bit later then. Ours just kicked off last weekend. Yeah, I keep seeing people's pictures and and their videos online. And I'm like, dang it, man, it's almost here. I'm I'm into turkey hunting in the sense that, like, I just like being outdoors, so I'm going to do anything that's in season. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, like, the diehard guy. I don't have super strong opinions about things. Yeah, that's how uh, I am. I, I, will, I will do whatever it takes to kill a turkey as long as it's legal. So, yeah, that's how I am. That's exactly right on point. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that that is one of the groups of people out there that, holy cow, man, you can piss some turkey hunters off in a hurry. Yeah, and I think that's a bird hunter good. thing, too, because you got your quail hunting guy, you got your duck hunters, which I used to do a lot of duck hunting back when I was younger, but down here we were just shooting wood ducks and stuff like that and flooded sloughs. But uh, to me, we could only kill two or three at that anyway, so the, it was just over quick and the meat yield wasn't there. So I became more of a big game hunter myself. Yeah, I, I mean, I enjoy the small game. I like the camaraderie side of waterfowl hunting. For yes, sure. it is you know, fun. sitting there hanging out, talking. You don't have to worry about scent, sight, smell, anything mm-hmm. until there's actually birds around. Yeah, so that's why like, I like hey, turkey hunting. Just still and be quiet for a second. Now, I will, I will say, like, for whitetail, though, you about got to have like a Buddha med- meditation mentality to sit in the stand that long. <laughs> Sometimes it's punishment. Yeah, I mean, I... I would do it all day, every day. My wife, she came out and she got to experience it for the first time with me. Uh, well, the first time that she actually with me before. But we were sitting up in the stand and we were only out there probably two and a half hours that morning. And she looked at me and she goes, this is what you do when you come out here all day long? And I'm like, this is it. I sit <laughs> right here. I watch this field. I just wait. Sometimes I see squirrels and possums and turkey. Sometimes I don't see a single living thing other than songbirds. Yep. But this is what I love to do. And she's like, wow. Yeah, I couldn't do this. I feel like she'd be a really good Western hunter. She likes to move. She likes to have a job. If we're hiking, she has to be carrying something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yep, you'd, you'd be good out West. But sitting in a tree stand is not her speed at all. It takes a certain type of person to hunt for whitetail. I will say that. <laughs> now, oh, yeah. what kind of turkeys do y'all have out there? Uh, we've just got Easterns out here. Easterns, okay. I don't know if there was yep. any other breed out there or what. No, now, do you... uh, here, in, here in Missouri, it's just Easterns. I mean, in Colorado, uh, I hunted in Colorado for turkeys, and they've got a combination. I think they've got a, they've got some Easterns and some Rios. Uh-huh. Is that right? I don't know. Yeah, I, you like got said, me, I'm man. Not, <laughs> I know there's so different. I, really... I know there's a different subspecies, but I, I mean, I know there's like Rio, Maryland and all that but i couldn't name off the top of my head <laughs> yeah i all i know is the one that i shot out there looked exactly the same as the ones here so i was like oh i got one of the easterns but <laughs> they've got some out there that have a lot lighter tips on the fan how Whatever now how's hunting different birds like that or do some tend to like because i know down here in the south you can overcall a bird like that i mean it happens easily but i've heard i had a friend who went out to kansas and he said you couldn't shut up enough they were they call and they'd hammer down oh, every dude. time. The turkeys here will call and call and call and call and call. I am not a good turkey caller at all. But in the mornings, I mean, I'll go set up in this field and I'll have six gobblers in all different directions and they won't shut up for an hour and a half. Heck yeah. And, <laughs> and I'm like, man, this is awesome. Like, I'm going to kill one. And it typically doesn't work out that way where they just come in and they're all fired up. Normally, I have to go after them. I'll see them crossing the field in a different spot, heading towards woods. I'll get over to the woods before them, and, uh, you know, I'll just kind of cut them off. I won't put any decoys out. I'll just wait till they get within range and pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Some people frown on it, but I, I think maybe I'm hoping this year I have it happen the right way, where I set up, I call, they come in, they, they're strutting, they're trying to beat the crap out of my decoy, and then I'll shoot one. I just, I want to experience it the way that everyone like talks about it. Yeah. Before, I mean, well, to before me, before I really say like turkey hunting is not that great. 
Yeah, well, to me, what you're doing is just running and gunning, and that's a normal thing because I hunt public land a lot, and sometimes you ain't got time to set up a decoy. You're lucky enough oh, just yeah. to make sure he doesn't see you setting up. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We where I hunt here, it's all it's all private land, and I mean, I know there's tons of turkeys. I see them all the time. It's just a matter of getting them to come in, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe it takes more years. I mean, I've only been turkey hunting for a few years now. I've had great success. I think I've killed a turkey every single season so far. Heck yeah. Um, but but I still haven't had it come in the right way. So. <laughs> I don't ever think there is a right way. As long as you're killing them, man, <laughs> stay the course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'll, I'll hope that it happens, you know, where they come sprinting in, fan out, get mad, and I shoot them. But if I see them across the field and they're not interested, well, I'll, I'll be chasing them down. Uh, that's what you got to do it sometimes. Now, how many turkeys can you shoot up there in a season? So we can shoot we can shoot two toms in the spring, and then I think we can shoot two turkeys in the fall, and they can be hens or toms. Oh, cool! See, Georgia doesn't yeah. have a fall season. All we have is a spring season. Our population has taken a serious hit, either by raccoons, possums, coyotes, hogs. So they've dropped it down to where like you can't even double up on the same property in a day anymore. Um, I think we can only kill two birds and that's it. Dang. Yeah, they've got they've got some extra restrictions to it. Uh like I think in the first week you can only kill one and then after that you can kill two in the same week, but they can't be on the same day. Uh-huh. I could be wrong on that. I'm pretty sure that's what it was last year. Um and then in the fall it's a lot more open. Like with your bow, like when I buy a bow license, I can get I think I can get two Two bucks with my bow and two turkeys. Um, they they phrase it differently. You know, it's like any deer or antlerless when you purchase. But basically, you end up getting, I think, five tags, two for turkey and three for whitetail for seventeen bucks as a red zone here. That ain't bad. Which down here no. in Georgia, you can kill two bucks and ten does. I've yet to do that. Fill my tag out, Holy but cow. yeah, I've killed six deer in a year. That's the most I've killed. That's pretty amazing. I, we, we like venison for sure, uh, mm. but between venison and elk and then the different types of hunting I do each year, we used to raise pigs as well. I was like, man, I just don't need it. Yeah, I, but that's a good freezer. thing, man. Cause I especially not freezer space for it. Yeah, well, meat prices are about to become drug prices nowadays. Gas is on the way, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for real. It was, it was a chore trying to find somebody who would process the deer for a decent price last year. Yeah, that's I worked at a processor just so I could have free processing fees in the evening during the season. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, I enjoyed it and I learned a lot. That's the main thing I did so I can just get better because hunting the animal is one thing, but once you get the deer down, breaking it down the right way, that's the most important part to me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't I don't like leaving meat. Uh I, I was fortunate enough hunting out west. I mean, I had never in all my years of hunting ordered an animal out until I moved out west. Mm-hmm. And when I moved out to Colorado, they taught me all about boning the meat in the field, ordering it out, you know, if it was close enough to where you didn't have to bone it out. And I was like, man, this is really cool. And so watching those guys do it, they've been doing it for so many years. They had it down and they did not waste any meat at all. Oh yeah. So I, was, I was very thankful that I got connected with guys like that for my first Western hunt. Oh, for sure, man. That's I tend to debone myself. For whitetail, it's just easier, especially on the hams and the shoulders. I leave bone in. It's just there ain't that much there anyway. But a ham, you just make a few cuts, and man, that meat just falls right off, and that's it makes it a lot oh, yeah. easier. <laughs> yeah, it does. And I mean, when you're talking, in some cases packing packing meat out from a couple miles in, every ounce helps. Oh, for sure. Take out. This one so time, I told myself I'll probably never. If I'm if I'm that far back in, I don't think I will ever bring the cape out for a shoulder mount on an animal. Yeah, I heard that's probably one of the heavier parts. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, I'm not carrying a whole cape out just for a shoulder mount. You know, like, I'll I'll try to shoot a cow closer to the road and just steal the pelt from that. Hell yeah. And uh, bring that in. But, um, yeah, we my buddy shot a moose one year, and I was thankful that was only 300 yards from the truck. But I yeah. still think looking back. Where was that at? Was that in Colorado? Yep, that was in Colorado. It was a giant animal. We did not, we 
did not bone the meat out. We carried the quarters out whole. Sweet and Jesus. And that's I probably like a two by four for a femur. Oh, it was it was huge. I mean, I've got pictures like just the just the hind quarters were as tall as a person. And like trying to carry those things out, they're all hot, heavy and awkward and the hoof sticking way up in the air. <laughs> I'm like only 300 yards. I can't imagine packing a full moose out a couple miles. I mean, that'd be a full week job. That is, that's I would, one I consider a pinnacle of my career if I can go on a moose hunt. I would consider, I'd be like, I'm a happy man. I could die the next day. <laughs> that is on my list. That, that is number one for me to actually be the one pull the trigger or hit the release. I really want to do an archery move hunt. That's, yes. That's it's dangerous, but I, I just want to check that box. Yep, absolutely. Now, kind of getting into archery for a little bit, how, what kind of bow do you shoot? How long have you been shooting? So I've been, I've been shooting bows since I was 15. Uh, I started with a Martin Magnum Jaguar. I got you. And my parents took me up with that one. I was, so thrilled i mean i was shooting 200 arrows a day and i uh, i've had gosh a dozen maybe 15 different bows over the years uh-huh. and i just like new stuff i like i used to buy sell and trade all the time and so if i saw something that i wanted to shoot i'd trade for it and it didn't matter price difference i was just like let's make it happen but now i'm shooting the matthews vxr i absolutely love it um, I'm not, I'm not like necessarily the brand loyal guy, like uh-huh. where I have to have that same brand, but Matthews is kind of the exception for that recently, just cause it's my last name felt the same way. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, yeah, I should probably just go with the Matthews. And that's they're awesome both, so that's I mean. all I shot shooting tournaments growing up and all that. Cause I shot through 4-H and then went into the ASA Pro-Am tour and shot and which when I, I kind of, I got bored of, I got shot so much that I just got burned out on it. Shouldn't say bored. And uh, I'll say about two years ago, I wanted to get back into it. And I went back to the local archery shop and I shot a Bowtech, a Hoyt and a Matthews. I couldn't tell them apart, man. Cause used to back yeah. in the day, the Hoyts were generally heavy. The Bowtech's uh, back wall was kind of spongy, but Matthews was always there. It was like the Silverado Chevrolet. It was just a good damn setup. You know what I mean? You could not go yeah, wrong it, with it. I hear I hear about all these different bows. Uh, I my buddy was telling me about this bow that the let off was so great that if you had a, a heavier stabilizer on the front of your bow, you could actually draw it back, point it at the ground, and let go of the grip, and the weight of the bow would keep the, the bow drawn back. And I'm like, man, that's super cool. That sounds also, like some kind of PSC like, thing. I want to say it was like a prime. Okay, yeah. Um, I remember uh, I when they were coming looking. out. That was back in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there's so many people. I feel like the, the differences in all the different bows right now are fairly neg- negligible. I mean, they're all shooting within 10 feet per second of each other. Yes. The let off pretty close to the same on all of them. You can get the poundage up to, uh, you know, close to 80 pounds on most. Yeah, there's now. guys I, shooting I 90 like pounds now, and I'm like, wow. But, I mean, it is yeah. what it is. <laughs> yeah, at, at the end of the day, I'm like, shoot what you're comfortable with. If you've got a bow that works great, stick with it. Mm-hmm. And and odds are you're not going to outshoot any bow that is made in the last couple of years. Oh, hell like, no, man. Now, I just yeah, that for sure. That's so. the main reason I picked up the traditional bows, because I just want to give myself more of a challenge. Because I know if I shot a compound, not tooting my horn or nothing, to me it's almost like setting up a rifle. I know once I get the teeth yeah. and dot lined up, that's it. So, yeah, I I haven't made that jump yet. I don't know at what point would oh, I make that jump. I love it, man. Just, it's awesome. <laughs> I I hear people get hooked on it, and I'm like, maybe I just need to check it out. But yeah. there's something about. I don't know, something about shooting a compound. I've really enjoyed shooting long range lately. I got the single oh, yeah. pin set up. I can crank it down to 100 yards. And, you know, I want to actually push it out farther than that. But That's how I practice. Fun. That I practiced at 100 yards shooting. Now, granted, I had the 36-inch stabilizer, four-powered scope, lens, all that. But I knew at that distance it would show any, I say, imperfections in my form. It was magnified at that distance. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, I had never tried it until this year when I when I bought that new Matthews and got a single pin adjustable. Mm. I I started shooting out at a hundred yards, and I'm like, there's just something cool about letting the arrow go, and long before it ever hits the target, you just know like that's it, that's a good shot. Right oh there. yeah, you just and feel you watch it. it drop right into the bullseye. Oh man, have you ever put I, a Luma knock on or a, a nocturnal knock and shot late in the evening? It's pretty cool to watch the arc. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I do that. I, I bought the off-brand ones. I was like, man, I'm not about to pay, you know, 40, 50 bucks for a pack of three of these. Things. Yeah, man. Get what, I, you ain't got to get the biggest and baddest thing. No, I, I hopped online and bought, found some knockoff versions of them, no pun intended. Yeah. And uh, they, they definitely do not perform the same, but they'll do the trick for the first, you know, several hours that they're on they just don't have the battery life i find that they break easier mm-hmm. but to, to be able to buy you know 12 of them for the same price you can buy three of the other ones that's yes because you gotta be if you're gonna be shooting an arrow in the woods you're gonna be willing to lose it so you don't want to spend too much money you know on the exactly. arrow now what kind of broadheads yeah. do you run so i'm running rage hypodermics okay um i've got the collared I I love them. I've got no complaints about them so far. Now I I keep hearing about different broadheads and and I want to try different ones. I had a guy on the other day and he told me about a broadhead that's got a single bevel. It's fixed blade, but the whole idea is that when it hits bone, it will continue to twist and break through the bone. And I talk to have it off the top of my head, but. I'm always interested in new gear when there's cool stuff that comes out. But so far, those Rage Hypodermics, man, I hit a deer with those, and and typically it dies within sight, or I can hear it in the woods if it makes it in, in oh, heavy for sure. cover. When a Rage opens up, it looks like you stuck an axe in the side of the animal. I'll give it that. I'm, I'm a fixed blade guy. I like those just because with bow hunting, it's one less thing to go wrong. But those Rages work. You can't argue with it. No, I've been... I've been absolutely thrilled with it. Like I've, I've had deer that were facing straight on. I put it in, or well, I had one that was barely quartering, like five degrees quartering towards me, but it was almost a hundred percent head on. And I just flipped it inside the shoulder. It turned around and it was dead within seconds. I mean, its nerves were still sending it across the field, but like its front legs gave out, it lost blood pressure and it tumbled within 40 yards. That's but awesome. I know that, yeah, it was, it's cool, man. There's something intimate about archery hunting that you just don't quite get with mm-hmm. rifle hunting. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll pick up a rifle first thing. And if I ever go out west, if I have the opportunity, I'll have that rifle in my pack. But first off, oh, yeah. there's going to be a bow if I can help it. Yeah. I mean, I told myself when I moved to Colorado, I was going to learn with the rifle and then, and then progress to a bow. And I hope to do that. I hope to get out with my bow here this year mm-hmm. on a couple different hunts. And, uh, it's a lot. I'll I mean, never give a... up rifle hunting. Yeah. I love I love shooting rifles. I, I just like shooting. I don't know if it's the guy in me, like as a kid, mm-hmm. anything that I could throw, hit, shoot, like I was hooked on it. And so. Oh, I man, it's just natural everything. human thing. We've been throwing rocks for millions of years. <laughs> we like throwing <laughs> yeah. really fast rocks now. <laughs> Absolutely. But that's freaking awesome, man. Now, uh, let's see. Where was I getting at? Well, oh, I just lost train of thought. What were we talking about? I'm sorry. Uh, you you had just asked about uh, the broadheads that I was using. Broadheads, okay. I think we were going yeah, that's where I was at. Now, have you jumped on the saddle game yet? Nope. I told myself last year that I was going to do it, and I didn't. Um, I've, I've been using a rock climbing harness to set up my tree stands for a while. Oh, and cool. then when yeah. I started hearing about... When I started hearing about saddles, I'm like, that makes perfect sense. Like when I get up in the tree, I like to be completely hands-free when I'm setting up, up my bow stand. Mm-hmm. And the only way I could do that was with the rock climbing harness. Yeah. And then, yeah, I kept hearing about all these different companies coming out with saddles. And last year, it was my goal to do it. I did not end up doing that. Um, I just had so much, so many other hunts going on. I didn't have time to actually put the practice in, get comfortable with the system or anything like that. And so I never even purchased one, but that's my goal this year. Yeah, I'm all the old stands become more mobile. Yeah, I, I use a Millennium Lock-On for now, 
but I got a bunch of buddies that are getting into the saddle and all that, but I just hadn't made the jump yet. But eventually one day, just to have another tool in the toolbox, I'll probably do it myself. This is yeah. a lot lighter load, I should say. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get I, – I pre-hang a lot of stands throughout the year. I mean, mm-hmm. like I've got – at any given time, I've got eight to ten stands up in the on the property that I primarily hunt. Now, I – there's something about sitting in the same tree. I don't know what it is. I know my odds go down of shooting a deer out of it, but I the memories that I make sitting in one spot, seeing the same view year after year, yeah. noticing what trees came down. I don't know. I don't know why. Well, private land, you can do that. I mean, I, I, yeah. I'm like that myself. You, the deer pattern, they know what's up. They get used to the stand being there. So, I mean, but like on public land, I just got mine set up. I got one like a rucksack frame with four sticks and I can have it up in about 15 minutes and it's not that heavy, but it's not that light either. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Once you get about 500 yards away from the truck, you're breathing pretty good. (laughs) I bet (laughs) I've done, I've done the uh, climbers before, or I did one hunt with that that never again. Uh, I couldn't find a tree that I could get up in. And then by the time I did, I knew it was going to be sketchy. It was leaning pretty hard. Yeah. I got up there, almost lost the platform. Yes. And I was like, nope, this is this is not going to work. And so Climbers are a totally point, different animal. They You got, it's almost like a work of art. You just got like a tradesman. You got to know what you're doing with a climber. It can be oh, a yeah. hassle. And I think it was just the marketing form that really made it a stance because there's been people that have been using saddles for a long time now. I didn't realize how long they'd been around. I mean, mm-hmm. they only really got popular, or I only had heard about them over the past couple of years. So yeah, I mean, they're just an old school trick that are, because everybody's kind of starting to try and go back to the old school ways. You know, it seems like it, or old tactics, because it worked. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember, remember times where if you had the right tree, like I'd just climb a tree, literally just a tree, no, no pegs no ladder nothing i just get up and sit on a horizontal branch i mean i've hunted like that before yeah of a tree and uh it's been a lot of years i mean that was when i was a kid i couldn't get up in a tree like that now i was like i have to find me um, a big old oak tree <laughs> a big old guy. yeah yeah it's, i mean it's cool man to see to see the tips and tactics that people are are coming up with now uh just to become more effective hunters and I do like the idea of being mobile like that, you know, where if you see a deer uh, and it's come out two days in a row, 90 yards down the fence line, yep. well, the next day you can get up in that tree close to where it's crossing and and be right on top of him. I've had that happen to me numerous times. Eggs or, yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's definitely a good trick to have in your tool bag. Oh, for sure. Now, kind of getting into the podcast, when did you start tossing around the idea, and when did you start doing it? Man, I've listened to I've listened to podcasts now for probably five or six years. Same as me. Um, didn't do a whole lot of it before that, but uh, I started out listening to Mark Kenyon on Wired to Hunt. Listened to him and Dan mm-hmm. Johnson for years, and uh, listened to Meat Eater. Basically, I'd get caught up on the podcast. And then I would find a new one to listen to. Because yeah. I'm, I'm like a binge watcher. I'm a binge listener. If I'm listening to it, I don't want to have to wait a week in between each time I each time I listen. So I would get fully caught up. And then I'd wait half a year to a year until there were a bunch of episodes out again. And I'd do it all over again. And so I bounced back and forth. And just listening to the laid back, uh, the laid back attitude in the podcast with mark Kenyon and dan mm-hmm. i'm like this is cool i love telling stories i like talking i can make friends with a rock as long as that rock is wearing camo or blaze orange or yep. a fishing pole you know oh so, yeah man that's one I thing did. i was not interrupt your story but i traveled to california this past week and it amazed me that there's still a strain of outdoorsmen now even all the way out there and we were able to pick each other out of the room like that so i mean oh, it's yeah. just cool to be able to you know you can like you said just relate to people easier yeah, I that that's always been kind of my passion is connecting people and uh, and getting them outdoors, even if they've hunted before. I like hunting with new people every year. I set a goal of hunting with twenty people I'd never hunted with before, and so I I told my wife multiple times like 
I might start a podcast. I'd love to do something like this or be on one one day. And she's like, you just need to do it. You need to do it. And then finally she got fed up with me talking about it. And she's like, no, it's finally happening. You're going to start one. And so we ended up buying a bunch of podcast equipment. Uh, at first, it was just a basic microphone that plugged into my laptop. Actually, sorry, before that, I was just recording on my phone. I found an app called Anchor. It was free. It Dude, that's what I'm using platform. right now. <laughs> Dude, I swore by it, man. I absolutely love that app. And yeah. I love the I loved being able to just record on my phone. Yep. When I'm out on these remote hunts, I can't lug all my uh, all my equipment with. That's exactly I why I bought I got on Anchor. Because like you said, we'll be on backpacking in the mountain. You can still record it, but uh yep. you will just upload it when you get back to civilization. Yeah. Yeah, I did that for a long time, and then even now, if I'm on remote hunts, I'll do that. But uh, for the stuff where I'm at home or on a Zoom call or a Skype call or something like that, I've bought I've bought more equipment since. But I didn't start the podcast. I don't think I started it, but like maybe a year and a half ago, the Nomadic Outdoorsman. Okay. Um, from there, social media and my <laughs> wife's brilliance with social media kind of blew that up for me. And I, I transitioned from wanting to talk to like super well-known people. That was my goal. I was like, man, I'm talking to all the biggest name guys. Out yeah, that's how I started out trying to do to too. Yeah, but I'm like, there's only so many, so many people that are going to say yes to talking to. There's yes. only so many of them out there. And she put something out on TikTok for me. And it was like, hey, if you're interested in talking about hunting and fishing, hit me up and let's try to get on a podcast together. And I had... 500 emails over the course of a couple of days on the weekend and i just started sending people messages back hey i'd love to talk to you you know tell me more about yourself and talking to everyday outdoorsmen and women has been the coolest thing ever the connections that i've made the friendships that i've made the the trips that i go on you know if we're in kansas i'll see who i know from kansas and we might just meet up and go out to lunch and just share hunting stories or that's all awesome. each other trail camera pictures things is just building connections to everyday people and then from there i uh i got in touch with dan johnson i always told myself you know like i've got to reach out to him at some point he's the guy that i've listened to i said the same thing for mark kenyon mm-hmm. and dan and i uh started talking more and more often and then he invited me to be part of Sportsman's nation podcast network and so I hopped on board with that, took over another podcast, and rebranded it, um, and so now I've got two. Okay, that's awesome, man. Now, would you say, because I'm still trying, I'm learning every day with this, would you say you noticed your big explosion when you, like, I got a TikTok, but I hadn't started making any videos, is that when you start seeing your explosion? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think I had recorded 13 episodes, had 90 total listens uh between all 13 episodes and i'm like man that means i've got six people probably all my family members that are listening to this <laughs> and my wife just surprised me she made a tiktok without me knowing about it talking about my passion for sharing stories talking about how she wants she wants it to blow up and um and sharing my journey i guess through it all mm-hmm. and it it took off i mean in a hurry to it went from I think I had 90 followers on social media on TikTok to 16,000 over like a three or four day period. Um, my listens went from 90 total to about four and a half thousand. And from there, it just kept on going. I was like, hey, I'm going to share content that's relatable. I'm going to share content that's funny and people can people can enjoy hunting instead of taking themselves so seriously. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, I'm not going to shy away from my journey. And, and how I got to the point that I did. Yep. And honestly, social media, although I used to absolutely hate it, and even now I'm like, there's a lot of crap on it. Yes. It, it really is a tool that can connect you to people that are like-minded or that can get you in front of people that you want to share a message with. Well, that's cool. And I got, I got something I'm going to start just break down and finally just start making videos because that's, I need to anyway. I'm not a big video guy. I got to get used to getting in front of the camera, even though I don't mind talking yeah. on a microphone. But it's just one of them things. Oh, yeah. It, it was definitely a, a change for me. My wife tried to get me on TikTok, and I'm like, babe, it's middle school girls doing dances that their parents probably don't want them to. Like, that's what that app 
app is. I have no business as a 30-year-old man getting on there. I'm going to be some creepy dude that, you know. Yeah, that's why I kind of feel a lot or felt like. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what I thought. But she's really good with marketing. She's really good in that space. And mm-hmm. she's like, listen. She, it definitely saturated. I'll say that. Y'all, every time oh, I yeah. get on there, y'all got a video coming through. <laughs> <laughs> well we we post all the time i mean we really do use it i've never paid for advertising for anything in my life and, i hadn't uh, either and i don't we do i don't want to i'm trying to build this slowly but surely in a way you know what i mean oh absolutely and when you do it like that i mean you see people that go viral and they get millions of views out of nowhere but when you can build something and really share a story that people can follow along with they enjoy that and they mm. and they like connecting with you i recently i've been I've been picked out different places. Like at Bass Pro, I had somebody come up to me and they're like, Dan? And I'm like, hey, I don't know you at all. They're like, <laughs> you're the nomadic outdoorsman, right? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, dude, we love your TikToks and we listen to the podcast. I'm like, oh, awesome. And it's just cool like to, to have people following a journey and then you they feel like they know you. Obviously, they're total strangers to you. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that they've been following and supporting like I changed, I exchanged numbers with that guy right away. I plan on doing a turkey hunt with him uh, here in the next month. So oh, badass! I love, I love connecting with people like that. Yeah, see, that's why one of the main reasons I started mine was just to one because we just had my second daughter, and I was like not really getting to do a lot of hunting. So I was like, I'm gonna talk about it regardless or something. <laughs> Plus, just give me yep. an excuse just to get out of the house, like I needed one. But <laughs> other than that, I love it. I guess so far, I know mine's been, or it's in like 11 countries, got over 2,900 downloads so far, but slowly but surely we're getting there. No, that's awesome, man. I mean, it, I tell people, as long as you're consistent, if you stick with anything, mm. it's going to happen if you want it bad enough. Yes. There's a lot of people that get discouraged and they give up, but you just got to keep your head down, keep going, man. Mm. Don't forget why you're doing it. If you have a purpose of like, I want to exchange or I want this to be my full-time job. I want this to open up opportunities for me or allow me to, even if it's just make enough money to pay for my hunting trips, like figure out your why, keep your head down, stay consistent. It's going to happen. Yeah. Mine, I want to eventually build a brand around it. And like you're saying, if it paid yeah. for elk hunt or something like that, I would be just icing on the cake, man. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, we're getting here about an hour now. I don't want to keep it too long this Sunday evening. Um, if you want to, plug yourself and tell people where they can hear you and check you out. Yeah, so you can find all of my stuff on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok at the Nomadic Outdoorsman or the Western Rookie. And um, if you want to listen along, it's on all major platforms. Both podcasts are, or you can go to sportsmansnation.com and look up the Nomadic Outdoorsman or the Western Rookie, and you can find everything there. Okay, awesome. Well, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. We'll have to do another podcast later down the road, especially if you go to another yeah, badass hunt. I'd definitely not hear about it. <laughs> well, uh, maybe we'll do a, a mid-turkey season update, and uh, you can hop on mine, and we can, we can find out how the hunt's going in Georgia. And <laughs> I think right about that time, ours will be kicking off here. That sounds good, man. Just hit me up whenever. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, man. Well, thanks again. Absolutely. All right. Have a good evening. You too.